0: Well, hey,
1: good morning. Good morning. Um, so we are going to start in Daniel chapter four this week. There we go. Now I can actually read what I wrote. Um, and but before we begin, have you ever read a newspaper article or seen a news story and thought there is no way that actually happened? <laughs> right. I was pregnant with Catherine. Um, They were concerned that she was going to be big. Spoiler alert, Abby was bigger. Mm -hmm. But uh, a week before she was born, week and a half before she was born, we did an ultrasound, and they said she weighed nine pounds, and she wasn't due for another three weeks at that point. And uh, right after I get this news, I'm talking to a, a dear friend and mentor of mine, and she goes well there was a brazilian lady who had a 13 pound baby at least she won't be that big and i'm like 13 pounds for a baby and like no c-section no surgery this was like delivered a 13 pound baby and i'm like there is no way that that happened that can't be true so i went home and i looked it up and i was like it it actually happened 13 pounds and four ounces for this baby um you know it, it it also can remind you of, of like, any of your, um, or you, I guess, too, any of your, you or your husbands go fishing, and you hear those, those fish stories. Well, the fish was th- this big, right? And these leave you wanting proof that it really happened. This account in Daniel is one of those that I grew up knowing it had to be true because it was in the Bible, but that it was so out there I couldn't even imagine how it would actually happen. For some reason, as a kid, I had no problem believing God with the the fiery furnace or with the lion's den. But this one was like, God, how did you really make that happen? Are you are you serious? You know, so but, but it's one of those that, that it's just one of those strange events of this chapter, these miraculous things that God makes happen, that, that makes this book what it truly is. So we're going to just dive right in, and I asked somebody to read Daniel 4, 1 through 3.
2: has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation.
1: So who wrote this chapter? King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar. It's autobiographical. This is the only chapter of Scripture that is composed by someone who is is depicted as a, it was, it, the bulk of his story is, is that he's a pagan. And here he is writing something for our Bible that we're reading 2,500 years later. Um. There is a small part that is, um, that is, and we'll get to that part, that is written most likely by Daniel. Uh, But this portion, the way it's, um, the way it's written, it says the King Nebuchadnezzar to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. If you think about any of Paul's epistles in the New Testament, that's the way that they would start a letter. And so that was. Um, it, it also, uh, as we get farther in, but you can see it a little bit in verse two. He says, "It has seemed good to me," or "What the most the most high God has done for me." It's it's very I, my, me, or um, is the is the pronouns that are used. So it is it is a, a first person account of of what happened of, of this particular event. And and so we know who wrote the chapter, who's the intended audience?
0: Everyone.
1: Yeah, everyone to all the peoples of the earth. For the record, this all the earth terminology very typical for this era. Um, as these empires claimed con- to control the whole earth, even though we know they only controlled that small section of what we now know as the whole earth. Um, but this is this is just the way they spoke. Um, while we know it is not true and was not the whole earth, and it wasn't even the whole of the known earth at the time, this was just their their language of how they showed they were the big bad king, you know. Um, but as he's writing this, he's he's writing it with this um, the the when you go back to some of the language of it, he's writing it as if it's almost a breaking news bulletin that's interrupting the primetime broadcast. That's that's how we have to think of this as we're reading it today. Is he wanted that information out and he wanted it out then and he wanted it out fast and he he was making it known to every single person that that lived in his land but there's a piece of information that's missing in this chapter so which of the 5 w's can we not can we not answer based on what's written here that usually we can from the first first couple of verses when? when we it doesn't give us a precise time that this book was written um, and we've been we've been writing it I know you all have different thing than I do but we've been writing you know dates in the margins um, on your in your notebooks there um, this one doesn't give us a precise time but we can get an idea um, so we're going to go a little bit out of order, and I'm going to just read us a couple of verses to see, to, to see sort of a when this might have occurred. Um, if we look at verse 4, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. And so we see that King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, there, there, it was a time of peace. It, it, for the kingdom. Um, and the first half of his reign was really one of conquering, and the second half was one of building up, um, a, a building up in the city itself. And then if you go to verse uh, 40, no, 30, sorry. It says, and the king answered and says, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Um, So this would also tell us that a lot of that construction had been completed at this time. Um, And so, and then as we look at the events of the chapter, we'll see that it takes place over the course of eight years. Uh. He was, he was ill for seven years, and there was one year between the time of the dream and the time that he became ill. And so we don't know an exact time, but we can guess that it's closer to the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, so but no later than 571 B.C. So you can put anywhere from... I wrote in mine around 570, just um, as a sort of approximate. Um, But that would mean that Daniel was was likely nearing 50 years of age. And King Nebuchadnezzar had been in power for for 30 years plus um, by this point in time. But if we look at back at those first three verses So we have our who and our when, but we look back at those first three verses and we we know it's written by Nebuchadnezzar, but he sounds very different in these verses. We're used to King Nebuchadnezzar who's this brutal, controlling, powerful, self-centered, polytheistic ruler. And what makes it different now? What do you think has changed about King Nebuchadnezzar? He's been humbled. He, he it, it was something he couldn't explain. It was no longer that, that he had just seen something happen. He had experienced it himself. And he wants to tell people about what the Most High God has done for him. Uh, And and he acknowledges some amazing things about God, that he has an everlasting kingdom, mighty signs and wonders, um, dominion endures forever. And so why do you think he is now speaking like this about God? yeah, it's a testimony of of a conversion experience. he's He's no longer the pagan ruler that we've been used to. his His life has been changed by God, and as we're going to see, he has experienced conversion. He realized that he had no power and that the most high God was sovereign. Uh, Dr. Daniel Akin said, Nebuchadnezzar's worldview and spiritual pr- perspective had been turned on their heads because of God's work of bringing great sorrow that led to repentance. He was a new man. So let's dig in and see how this change occurred because you know, we had we had him throwing men into the furnace being so heated up that he wanted to obliterate them last week and now we see... He's amazed by what God can do. So I gave someone Daniel 4, 4 through 18.
3: The enchanters did The astrologers came in and I told them to read, But they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me. He as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold, the tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heaven lived in its branches and all flesh was fed in the vision of of my head as I lay in my bed and behold the watcher, the holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said this, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches but leave the stump of its root from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is, is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the Holy One, to the end that the living may know that the Most High Rule, the Kingdom of Kingdom are not able to, make known to me. the interpretation
1: that you are able, the spirit of the holy God is in you. So, so like we noted before this was during a time of peace a time of security King Nebuchadnezzar didn't really have much to be concerned by um, I'm and I'm going to show you some some pictures because it's like I said, the first half of his reign was one of conquering. He, he went to Jerusalem three, three times, in, including destroying the temple in 586. He had, he had um, fought and won against Egypt. Um, so he had great military victories, but he also had a, a, a home, home city. It was, it, Babylon was one of the most preeminent cities of history. During Nebuchadnezzar's reign, undoubtedly, was the most magnificent and probably the largest city on earth. Um, Herodotus is a Greek historian. He visited Babylon about 100 years after Nebuchadnezzar's time, and he was just overwhelmed by its grandeur. And over 200 years later, Alexander the Great planned to make that city, the, the city of Babylon, his, his headquarters for the whole Greek empire. Um Babylon was a rectangular-shaped city surrounded by a broad, deep, water-filled moat, and then by an intricate system of double walls. This is um, partial reconstruction, partial like from historical, like what actually existed, and it um, the the first of the the. Uh, the inner wall, sorry, lost my place, was 21 feet thick, reinforced with defense towers at 60-foot intervals along the wall, um, and the outer wall was 11 feet wide, also had watchtowers. Later, Nebuchadnezzar added an additional defensive double wall sin- system, uh, an outer wall 25 feet thick, inner wall w- of that one was 23 feet thick. thick. All, f- for Four sets of walls to protect this city. Um, while the height of the walls is not exactly known, um, what what we do know—let me make sure I've got the right one. Yeah, is that they had these elaborate gates. This one was a reconstruction of what they believed the gate, one of the gates, would have looked like. Um, the, the this. The uh, Ishtar Gate is, is one that they, they know the most about. It was 40 feet high. And so the walls would have probably been around 40 feet tall. Um, we just don't know that for sure. But this would have been a formidable barrier for enemies. So there were eight gates that provided access to the city. Um, it was this, this particular one was a massive double tower rising to a height of forty feet decorated with with dragons uh mar of marduk there were uh these were there were five hundred fifty seven animals on this that were just for decoration um there was there were other um many other uh the all the gates were as elaborate um inside the city they would have uh just buildings and structures in the back uh of this picture is is what's called a um a ziggurat this uh, this one's just a depiction of it but you can see it a little bit better would have been uh, 288 feet into the air, they have figured out. This was, was basically a temple of Marduk. Um, and, and there would have been um, just, uh, there, there were said to be 53 different temples. This one would have been the biggest, obviously, but 53 different temples present in the city of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar had at least three palaces in Babylon. The principal residence was located along the south. It was about 350 yards by 200 yards. And think about my, my house is, is much, much smaller than that. Um, but you think about that compared to your house, that's probably, yeah, massive. I would not want to be responsible for cleaning that one. But this palace would have included a beautifully decorated throne room. We'll look kind of at that a little more next week. Um, and then there was there was something you've probably heard of, the hanging gardens. The hanging gardens, uh, an- the, the ancient Greeks considered this to be one of the seven wonders of the world. According to the um, the Babylonian historian, Nebuchadnezzar constructed this for his wife, who had left the mountains of her native Media for the alluvial plains of Babylonia. And her husband, in effect, built a mountain in the city for his wife. So this was just a gift for his wife, is this elaborate one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Um, This was high enough to be seen beyond the city walls, many different kinds of plants, palm trees, uh, hoists had been been contrived in order to raise the water and, and, and get it up so that everything could grow. And so here we have, he's at ease in his house, in that elaborate throne room, thinking about all these things that he has built. He was set. He wanted for nothing. He was safe four layers of walls, life was good. And then he had a dream. This is the second dream that Nebuchadnezzar has that we've read about in this book. This is the second time that he has been afraid because of a dream. Just like the first one, he called in all of his wise men to try to interpret the dream. But unlike the first one, he actually told them what the dream was. But again, like the first one, the wise men could do nothing with it. They couldn't give an interpretation. Likely they would have known that it wasn't good, but they couldn't give him any details. So he called in Daniel. And it would be purely speculation, but why do you think that he didn't go to Daniel first? he represented a different god? That very well could have been. He didn't want to offend them. Didn't want to offend them. Make
0: an
1: or make an interpretation he didn't like. Yeah. Yeah, and and Daniel was was also it said that um the ESV called him the chief of magicians. You know, sometimes when you're in charge of something, the CEO isn't the one that gets t- to handle the problems first; they just handle the ones that have made it up through the chain of command, right? Um, and, and so, when you, it, it could have just been the custom that that he wouldn't have been there first. He would have called in the others because Daniel was busy with his own his own tasks. Um, but it's also these other these other things the king was just troubled and and he he didn't uh he, he didn't go to Daniel at first doesn't matter why the important part is he was specifically called in later um, likely just like the wise men, Nebuchadnezzar knew that there was something bad about this dream Um, and we're going to sort of dig in more to the interpret to the dream itself when we look at the interpretation but but what does the king say about Daniel Um, starting in verses what eight and nine I think Spirit of the Holy Gods, he says that three different times in that passage we just read. What else does he say? No mystery is too difficult for you. No mystery is too difficult. And he calls him by both the name Daniel and Belteshazzar right? That um, gives you the idea that the the king had a a relationship with Daniel in some way, that there was a a trust, maybe not a friendship necessarily, but but there was more than just knowing each other um, who they were. And we've learned a lot about Daniel's behavior already in this book, and some of it you've been uh, keeping on a list in your in your notebook in your handouts what what are some things some words that you would use to describe Daniel not just from this passage but from the whole the, the first four chapters that we've already read he knew who he was and he was comfortable, he knew who he was and he was comfortable in that yeah wise he um,
4: endeavored to honor the authorities
1: he endeavored to honor the authorities yeah and and he was a man of his word right he, if, if he was going to do something and said he was going to do something he did it uh, Dr. Aiken again said the king didn't need a yes man he needed a truth man the head of state needed a man of faith to speak truth into his life and Daniel was such a man would that we might boldly and humbly walk in his steps King Nebuchadnezzar trusted Daniel because Daniel had shown himself and his God to be worthy of trusting people both Christians and non-Christians are watching everything that we do and say They are watching our behavior, whether it is in a conversation we're having in person, a post we share on Facebook, or an email we forward. They are deciding whether we are worthy to be trusted and whether our God is worthy of being trusted. We need to strive to be like Daniel, not just in his firm stance on godliness, not just for his approach to a problem starting with prayer. We need to strive to live a life that's worthy of the God that we serve. Because of this trust and respect with the king, Daniel was able to tell the king the hard stuff as he gave the interpretation of the dream. So just a quick recap. In the dream, we have what? What do we start with? A A big tree. We're going to jump in. I gave Genesis to somebody on this side, Paula. Genesis 11, 1 through 9. We've already talked about the Tower of Babel briefly, but I want us to look at it just a little bit as we look at this tree.
2: The Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from here, from there, all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why called Babel because there, is, sorry, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole
1: world. Yeah, so in we talked about where the Tower of Babel was built was Shinar, which was also Babylon. Um, Babel, Babylon, right? But how, in, in in verse 4, Polly, you've got it open and looks like Kristen has hers open to there too. Verse 4, it describes the height of the tower. What does it say? Yeah, a tower with its top in the heavens. That's what the, the ESV said. And what was the goal of the tower? Why did they build it? To make a name for themselves. Okay. Now go back to this dream. How, it was Genesis 11. And how, how in the dream, how was the height of the tree described? The top reached to heaven. And who could see the tree? the whole earth so babylon or the tower of babel they wanted to build a tower that reached to the its top to the heavens to make a name for themselves in the whole earth and now we have a dream by the king of babylon who has a tree whose height reached to the top of the it's top the top of the tree reached to heaven and it was visible to the whole earth it's kind of neat how god just sort of wove that together here we have a a, a, almost a, a remake of of the tower of babel but then who came down in after we've got the tree in the dream who came down The uh, the holy one. It's it's known as a watcher, um, a messenger. This is the only chapter that this term is used. Literally, it means one who is awake. Um, but other writings of the area, the era, it's used as angel. Uh, so an, an angel. And then they cut down the tree. The the tree stump loses its mind as a man and takes on the mind of a beast. And for how long? Seven periods. seven periods of time. That seven periods of time would be seven years. That was just the way they um, they would, that terminology. And the reason, because it tells us there that it's it's to know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men. And we can already see, when you think about the story of the Tower of Babel, and you think about this tree that has some of that same terminology, you can see why Nebuchadnezzar was a bit concerned. Right? So let's get into what... Um, what this crazy mess of a dream really means. And so I gave somebody uh, verses 19 through
5: 27. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies, the tree you saw which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. And let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity.
1: So Daniel hears the dream and what's his immediate first, first response? What's his first reaction? He was dismayed, he was dismayed right? Some um, some translations I know it was the NIV, and there were a couple of others actually used the word perplexed. Perplexed is not the best word um, to hear. Daniel knew exactly what it meant. There was no question for him. Uh, it it was he was he was alarmed. He was he was in shock. He didn't take that time where it said he was dismayed for a while he, he didn't take that time to hesitate and think he knew the response he knew the answer he wasn't he, he wasn't he didn't need the extra time he was in shock he didn't know how to respond but this gives the impression of of great concern for the king and then when he when he actually speaks he responds and says may this Dream be for your enemies and not for you. But compassion can't stop conviction. The king was being called out for his sin and Daniel needed to tell him where he was wrong. Daniel still spoke the truth, but he spoke it in love, just as we are called to do. So who did the king who did the tree represent? Sorry. the king, right? Trees were often used as symbols of political authority throughout the biblical prophets. I think it was Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, I think it was Hosea. There were, th- there were three or four of them. By cutting down the tree, this showed disgrace, removal of Nebuchadnezzar, and the bands around it showed that it was marked and protected by God for God's purposes to be fulfilled. And then we find out that the stump of this tree, and, and it's interesting because when they're both describing the, the tree, I, I made note back when the king is describing the tree, it says, um, and I actually wrote in, it says, but, uh, verse 15, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him... But that hymn refers to the stump. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. It's already, the king already knew when he's giving what this dream is, that it was more than just a tree. Um, he knew it was, uh, that it, and that's what the angel was telling him too, that it was, it was a person, it was representing a person. But we find out that that the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, is going to have his mind turn out to be like a beast of the field. Now, I mentioned my birds last week. I call them my birds. I know they're wild. They're not really my birds, but I feed the birds, and so they're my birds. We've actually started naming some of the birds, but... um, but I, when I talked about my birds last week, it talked about the way that their little bird brain of the female cardinal made her think she was queen of the feeder. Made her think that, that she was in charge and it was her territory and, and nobody else could do anything unless she said it was okay. And how King Nebuchadnezzar was acting a little bit like the, the bird brain of this lady cardinal. While we could have called him a bird brain for his behavior in chapter 3, this is completely different. He was eating grass. He was, his, his water was from the dew on the plants. He was no longer living in the elaborate palace with the fancy throne room, but he was living out in the fields. And so um, why, why was this going to happen? Why did Daniel say this was going to happen? Because of, his pride. because of his pride. So that he would know, so that the king would know that the Most High was the sovereign ruler. That the Most High God was the one who brought him to power, that the Most High God was the one who let him defeat Jerusalem, that the Most High God was the one who helped him and allowed him to build this elaborate city that he built. And, and I'm going to reread uh, verse 27. It says, Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now think about what you know of the authority of kings of this time and the region of the world. I, I went back to, to thinking about when Mordecai asked Esther, because that's a familiar passage to you. Mordecai asked Esther <clears throat> to approach the king, who was her husband, and Esther told Mordecai, but if he doesn't hold out his scepter to me, then, then I'm dead right the king the king has ultimate power and so here daniel has just given him this interpretation that is not good for king nebuchadnezzar it's disgraceful for king nebuchadnezzar and yet he didn't even just leave it there daniel then called the king to action in hopes of not preventing them, right? It wasn't, if you do this, this won't happen. It was, maybe, perhaps, we can lengthen your prosperity before this happens. Daniel is telling the king that he needs to change and to be humble in order to postpone, not stop, the inevitable events of this dream. This was courage and faith daniel spoke the truth in love and then called the king to change and many times we'll call out someone in love and then we'll walk away here daniel wanted to help make the change happen Uh, warren wearsby says an understanding of god's plan an understanding of god's plan imposes on the hearer the responsibility to do god's will To hear and understand the word but not obey it is to deceive ourselves into thinking we have grown spiritually when we have actually moved backwards. I can't help but think about the story of Jonah as I read this passage, and particularly verse 27. God sent Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. Jonah tried to go the other direction. God had a whale swallow him and spit him out in Nineveh. Jonah did not want to give the Ninevites a second chance. God made it happen. The king and the people repented, and they were spared. King Nebuchadnezzar did not have that same fate. And so who has verses 28 through 33?
4: All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, The king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and for my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from the people to live with the wild animals, and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people, he ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky, until his hair grew like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws.
1: So. Obviously, this is the portion that was not written by Nebuchadnezzar. Um, it, it goes back to, to third person. That, and so this was likely the portion that Daniel would have added into the report that, that the king was broadcasting to his nation. This is the, the part that Daniel would have added. Um, so when did this happen? A year later, 12 months after the dream, here it is. And what was King Nebuchadnezzar's attitude in verse 30? Very prideful. You see the I and the my. I did this. I deserve this. I am the greatest. And no sooner did those words come out of his mouth that God spoke directly to King Nebuchadnezzar. The first word there... um, in verse 33 was immediately you know the or at that moment right it was the hammer of god's judgment came down and it came down with a vengeance so the king was struck with the the psychiatric disorder known as clinical lycanthropy which is to believe oneself to be an animal or boanthropy which is to believe yourself to be a cow or an ox specifically people who think they're werewolves are like suffer from the clinical lycanthropy i thought that was an interesting tidbit not that it matters but that's the thing they're suffering from because of this dream daniel and the others knew that that this would come to an end right they knew they just had to make it seven years and then he'd be he'd be back Um, so likely he and others in authority ran the kingdom while the king was incapacitated Warren Mearsby says God could have destroyed the king and his kingdoms but he still had purposes to fulfill for his people and his prophet Daniel and furthermore God wanted the king to tell the whole empire what he had done for him so that his name would be glorified among the nations But the story doesn't end with the king becoming a beast or having the mind of a beast. And so uh, verses 34 through 37. No. Yes. That's where we are. Yes. 34 through 37.
0: At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stand his, none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, And my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to honor.
1: So we're back to first person again. It says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes. And so, so the king is writing again. After spending seven years looking down at the ground like a beast, the king lifted his eyes to heaven. The implication here is that this is, this is likely the moment of conversion. This is faith and submission. And what is the first thing that the king does his reason returns to him and what did he do but after right right after that he blessed the most high he He worshiped God and then what does he say here about God what are some of those things that that you could add to your your list in your handouts The kingdom endures from generation to generation. What else? He does, according to his will. he does according to his will. In other words, he is sovereign. Right? This is what God was trying to teach him the whole time. And here King Nebuchadnezzar says... You do whatever you want. You know, that's exactly what he was trying to do. One thing that I found interesting, I I sort of jotted myself a note, was at the beginning of verse 35, it says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. Who's included in that inhabitants of the earth? He He is. He's saying, I account as nothing... Your will be done. Then the king returns to rule his kingdom. He's a changed man, a a believer. The whole ordeal, God gave him seven years as a beast in order to bring about salvation for his soul. And I'm not going to get into the whole, like, was he really saved because Jesus not going there. We're just going to trust he believed not just that God was a God, but he was big G God. So as we finish this chapter, um, what are some of the, the, the uh, ideas for theme that you can put on your uh, at-a-glance chart there on page 34? Don't get too big for your britches. <laughs> exactly right.
4: Go ahead. Well, I kind of saw that God in his mercy restores us. Yeah. After we repent, but.
1: Yeah, God in his mercy restores us. That's exactly right. God humbles the proud that's the last line of the of the whole whole chapter is those who walk in pride he is able to humble right and then the whole point of the whole experience was for king nebuchadnezzar to see that god was sovereign so you could you could include that god was sovereign and the one that The one that i i walked away with the most was was when god speaks we must stand firm to convey that truth to others in love that i i sort of took the daniel spin and not the nebuchadnezzar spin on on this chapter was was with that Arrogance to humility to truth. Yeah.
3: I wonder how he treated those people that
1: built that house, that built that house. So, I mean, yeah. I'm looking at that picture up there that you had of that
3: the garden, the palace, and everything and the walls. And that was all done by hand.
1: It was. yeah you think about you think about the number of people that it took to do some of those things. the but you think about all these things were done while the king was still in that brutal, self-centered, prideful, arrogant stage of his life. Uh, yeah, how did he treat treat the workers?
2: Hopefully he went
0: back and thanked
1: them. At the very end. Like, yeah. Know, so long, yeah. You f- you think about this? He comes back to rule as a changed man, and and how would, how would his kingdom look different because of that? Yeah. If in fact he did go
3: back.
1: Well, the yeah the the implication is that he did. Yeah. So so yeah. we're going to turn the camera off and i am going to find the other paper that has the questions